here at the beginning of the service. I'm really missing my mother right now. It's the first Christmas I've ever had to go without her. And every little thing reminded me of her. And I could just get all down and stay that way. But uh, thankful the Lord does give us comfort in these times. And we do have him to rely upon. I can't imagine going through this life and not having the Lord uh, to lean on. And so uh, I am glad for that. Well, uh, before we get into the message here, did anybody have anything else tonight, a song or a testimony, anything you want to share? All right. Well, it's good to be here tonight, and we're in our Acts Bible study sermon series. This will be part number 15, and we're going to, Lord willing, be looking at Acts chapter 5, uh, the rest of it, starting at verse 33, going through 42. And I've titled the message uh, from uh, the text, Counted Worthy to Suffer, Acts chapter 5. I'll go ahead and read the the verses, and then we'll get right into it after that. Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 33. The Bible says, When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up, Thutius, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Help us now as we try to expound on this text. God, that you be glorified. Lord, do a mighty work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we looked at verses 26 through 33. And I know I picked up 33 tonight. Uh, where this council was questioning the apostles, and the apostles have really irritated them. And so they wanted to kill them. That's what it said there in verse 33. When they heard all those things that Peter said, uh, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So immediately their thoughts are, how are we going to get rid of these guys? We are going to kill them, and we're going to figure out a way to do it. And uh, fortunately, uh, there was one person there that had some sense to them. Uh, but as we saw, saw there in our opening text tonight, when Peter stood up and preached, the, and we titled last week's message, Cut to the Heart, because that's what happened. When, uh, when uh, they heard about the Lord, they were cut to the heart, and all the things they had done. Peter told them they were the ones that uh, were in charge when he was killed, 
and uh, that they killed their own Messiah, and that really irritated them. And so that's what happened. Verse 34 says, Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So there we have a level-headed guy. Uh, we're first introduced to Gamaliel right here. This is the first time we see his name mentioned, but it's not going to be the last. He's mentioned one other time in the Bible, and we'll look at it as we get further in, probably be in a couple of years when we get in Acts chapter 22, uh, whenever we get there. And uh, that's when Paul is given his defense before the Jews and the Pharisees and the Roman officials there uh, after he was pulled out of the temple. Remember, Paul went to the temple and he brought some fellows with him and uh, the Jews got angry and accused him of polluting the temple and they drug him out and uh, beat him and everything else. And so Paul gives a little rundown of who he is uh, to this, this group of people that was uh, there listening. In Acts 22 and 3, Paul said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And this is the same man, without doubt, it's the same one. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And so we know that Paul started out, that's, that's what it was. He went to rabbi school. Gamaliel was his teacher. He was one of the, the, uh, the most um, sought-after teachers of that day. I mean, if you sat under Gamaliel, I mean, that was the greatest teacher that could be. Uh, he was one of the most respected Jewish teachers in all that area. Uh, it's said that uh, when he died, that uh, all the honor of the law died with him, is what the saying is. Uh, a little bit of background on Gamaliel, given by a man named Dr. John Lightfoot. Uh, he was an English preacher and a Hebrew historian from back in the 1600s. He said this about Gamaliel. He said, Gamaliel was the teacher of Paul, the son of Simon or Simeon, who took the Savior in his arms in Luke 2, and the grandson of the famous Hillel, and was known among the Jews by the title of Rabbi Gamaliel the Elder. Um, you know, I don't have any reason to doubt uh, Dr. Lightfoot's commentary on that. Uh, uh, he very well could have been all those things. I, you know, to be the son of Simeon, the one that they brought Jesus to there in the temple after he was born, that's, that's quite something. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that, though. So we can't say tonight dogmatically that that's exactly everything about this man. But that's what history tells us. Now, we do know Gamaliel sat on the Sanhedrin court. That's what this is, is that uh, the apostles are sitting under and having to give their uh, account of everything they're doing to. Uh, most of that court was made up by Sadducees, and the rest of them were Pharisees. The problem was the Sadducees were more well-off. They were conceited and... Uh, uh, they, they didn't have the respect among the Jews that the Pharisees had. Now, when we think of Pharisees, we think they're the worst of the worst because the Bible, you know, kind of paints that picture um, of a Pharisee. And, uh, but in that day, the Pharisees were highly looked upon by the Jews. Uh, they were, you know, a great group. They were more considered blue-collar religious um, leaders as opposed to the uh, the Sadducees who were more uppity, if you will. Uh, it is said that Gamaliel had a reputation among all the people there in our text, which means he was very well thought of. Uh, so 
you know, Christian tradition claims that Gamaliel became a Christian at some point after he was baptized by Peter and John and then kept it a secret so he could remain on the Sanhedrin court and uh, sway opinions on uh, things to do with Christianity. The Bible doesn't tell us that either. I'm just telling you what I've, I've studied uh, through history, and that's, um, that's part of it. Uh, Gamaliel told the council there in her text to put the apostles forth a little space. That simply means get them out of here, maybe put them off in another room, get them out of the way, and let's discuss this like rational human beings. That's what that means. See, verse 35, And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. Well, Gamaliel, he's warning this council here, they need to think a little more here. Don't just jump in, off the handle, you know, do a knee-jerk reaction just because they've been cut to the heart, you know, they're all upset. And uh, that's one thing we need to make sure of. When we get upset, we need to, we need to take a, a step back. Uh, now, I've always been one growing up, I was, I was a little hot-headed, and if, if something offended me, I was ready the first one to throw a punch. Uh, but I've learned over the years, uh, it's better to take a step back. Uh, think about it a little bit. What are you about to do? You're about to change a life here. These men are about to change lives. They're, they have it in their head to take lives. Uh, this, is, this is not a small matter. And so we as Christians especially, when the world looks upon us, they should see people that are more level-headed. Not people that are ready to fly off the handle, you know, every time something happens, uh, just thrash out and uh, everything else. Uh, they should look at us and say, you know, they're acting like, like I believe a Christian ought to act. They're acting like godly men and women. And I pray that we always do that. Uh, but he's warning them here, don't make such a, a rash decision because there's a lot more at stake here than, than what meets the eye. Verse 36. For before these days rose up, uh, Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. And so what he's doing, he's reminded them of some other people that a similar in a similar situation or case. Uh, this man, uh, Thutis, I'm not sure I'm speaking his name right. I should have I studied on that name harder, but uh, regardless, uh, he's reminding them of this guy who uh, claimed to be, I guess he was claiming to be a religious leader, and uh, he got a large following of people. He said, what was it, 400 there? Um, yeah, about 400 joined themselves with him. So they were following him. He, he had a, a following, uh, but it, it, it went to naught. He said they were scattered. He was slain, and all those that obeyed him, they were scattered. And uh, so it come to nothing. It didn't work out. And so he wants them to think about that. Uh, see, we didn't have to... Uh, we don't have to worry about it. It's all going to work itself out if, if it's the right thing. And so this, this Thutis, uh, however you say his name, is probably the same one that Josephus mentions. He's also a Jewish historian. He wrote this about him in his book called The Antiquity of the Jews. And I, I may have said this before, but if you're ever looking to go to sleep and you can't, pick up that and start reading it and you'll, you'll be out like a light. Uh, but here's what he says about uh, this man, Thutis. It came to pass while Cuspius Fatus was procurator, I'm sorry, procurator of Judea that a certain Charlton, whose name was Thutis, 
persuaded a great part of the people to take their effects with them and follow him to the Jordan River. For he told them he was a prophet and that he would, by his own command, divide the river and afford them an easy passage over it. Many were deluded by his words. However, Phaedas did not permit them to take any advantage of his wild attempt, but sent a troop of horsemen out against them. After falling upon them unexpectedly, they slew many of them and took many of them alive. They also took Thutis alive, cut off his head, and carried it to Jerusalem. That's a pretty brutal way to go. Uh, and Josephus, you know, everything that he's written pretty much seems to be true if you, if you uh, study history much. And so uh, this is probably the same person that Gamaliel is reminding them of. And they would have, they would have known about this. Verse 37, after this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So now he mentions another fellow, uh, similar, Judas of Galilee. Um, according to the Columbian Encyclopedia, Judas of Galilee was a, a leader of the Zealots, a radical revolutionary Jewish sect, he raised an insurrection against the taxation census of Cyrenius on the grounds that no one but God was Israel's master, and he was killed. And so uh, here's these, these men that Gamaliel's just remind them of. Uh, you know what happened in that case. It come to naught in both these cases, and so let's just, let's just let this work itself out for now. Verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. In other words, the same thing that happened to these two guys. Same thing's going to happen to them if it's not, if it's not real. Verse 39. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. Now this is a strong warning. He warns them, if you try to overthrow this, and they are really of God, they are exactly who they say they are, and are speaking on God's behalf, and you try to do something to them, you're fighting against God. Uh, listen, you do not want to fight against God. Uh, Gamaliel has much more wisdom than the rest of the council. They're listening to him. They're taking what he's saying into consideration. But instead of letting anger override his brain like these other guys are doing, he takes deep thought about this problem. And he understands the repercussions. If he's going to take part of this and they're going to kill these men and they're actually working for God, God sent them to do this, we're in huge trouble. And so he, uh, he, he tries to bring sense to the rest of the crowd. And you're going to find that in, in life. Men who allow anger to dictate their responses are weak, are weak men. They're weak-minded. When they first thing they want to do is lash out instead of trying to reason, try to understand something. If their first thought is, that's not what I believe, bam! You know, they're weak-minded. And so you take that in consideration uh, and think about things. Uh, my dad was a quiet man. Uh, everybody would tell you, he was a school teacher, uh, he was a Sunday school teacher, and you know when he's teaching and stuff, he'd talk and talk and talk, but in everyday life, he, he could go for days without saying a word. But when he spoke, <laughs> it was level-minded, he had thought it out, he didn't just say things off the cuff, 
he knew exactly what he was going to say. And he, a lot of people respected him because of that. Uh, if he walked in a room and everybody was gabbing and going on, he'd sit there and not say a word. And when they all got done, then he would interject his idea or thought, and everybody would be like, wow, <laughs> and think of that. And so uh, we need to be more like that. I'm not saying you need to be more like my dad, but we need to be level-headed in all things, especially things of the Lord. Uh, God uh, counsels us to take reason over rebellion. In his word, Isaiah 1, 17 through 20, it says, Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so God himself tells us, listen, uh, let's reason together here. Don't be rash and fly off. Uh, one thing's for sure, we don't want to fight against God. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 12 and 30, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And that's, some, that's some strong words there from the Lord. Now look at verse 40 of our text. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So Gamaliel only halfway got through this angry crowd of men. Um, they, they, they're not going to allow these guys to just walk out of here. They're going to get their last part in, their two cents, and uh, to let them know that they, are, they have more power than these men. And uh, so instead of just letting them walk out the door, they, they beat them, just like they did last time. And so Gamaliel did persuade them not to kill them, but they're not going to go scot-free. Now, it was common that the Jews would beat prisoners for minor offenses. Uh, they would give them 39 stripes. You may have heard that in the Bible. Paul talked about the beatings by the Jews. And uh, when he would give a list of things uh, that happened to him, he said this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. And that's what it was. It was 40 minus one. They didn't want to go over the 40, so they would just do 39. So it was 40 uh, save one, making it 39, just in case they went over the number of lashes. They couldn't go over 40. Now, most likely the Jews beat these apostles to show that they were an authority. Um, otherwise, they might have looked weak in front of, you know, people. And they, once again, they tell these apostles, stop speaking in this name of Jesus. Stop it. Verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Well, a lot of good it did for the council to beat them and threaten them and everything else. All this did was just get them more excited and make them preach more. Now, that's the exact opposite of what people do today. Most Christians today, if they've been done like this, they say, I'll never do it again. <laughs> You'll never see me at church again. You'll never hear me say the name of Jesus again. Uh, not these guys. These guys that just they just doubled down on it. Boy, when they got when the, and the, and for a good reason. 
this is just one of many times that uh, Peter and John both would suffer for Christ's sake. Peter would write about it later on in his epistles, First and Second Peter. Um, for example, in First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, listen to what he said. He said, But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evil doers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Uh, Peter had first-hand knowledge of this. And he's warning that church or those uh, Christians in that day who were being scattered. That's who Peter's uh, letters are to. Uh, those uh, uh, Christians are being scattered. And uh, they were in fear for their lives. And they were getting um, separated from their families. Their families were disowning them. And so many problems they were going through. So he was constantly trying to write to them and saying, listen, I, it's bad. But listen, rejoice in these things things that are happening to you because you're doing it in the name of Christ. That is very difficult for us to comprehend because we don't see that kind of persecution in this country. Now, if you go over into other countries, especially, you know, um, Iraq and Iran and, and uh, those countries in the Middle East, but uh, India now has become one of the, the most dangerous places for Christians to, to exist. Now, of course, they're Hindus over there. Uh, but uh, all these other countries that are mainly Muslim countries, uh, it is it's horrible. If you keep up with that persecution uh, that's happening around the world, it is worse right now than it's ever been. And so uh, we don't understand that kind of thinking. Can you imagine, you know, somebody coming and treating you like that, beating you 39 times of the whip because you said the name Jesus? We're going to get up and say, thank you. I'm going to keep on going. No, most people won't. Not most people here. Boy, Christians in other countries are laying down their heads and saying, I'm not going to deny Christ. I'd say nine out of ten Christians in this country right here, if somebody come up behind you with a sword and said, you know, tell me that you don't believe in Jesus, probably nine out of ten would say, I don't believe in him. Otherwise, they're going to cut their heads off. And so... In the next chapter uh, in First Peter, Peter wrote this in First Peter 4 and 12 through 14. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, one of the things that you're going to find when you're studying the Bible and how Christians should, should live uh, is that if we are living the way that we should be, we are going to see some kind of persecution. Uh, now, like I said, this country, we're not really seeing Christian persecution, but it does go on. 
and it may be in a subtle way for us, you know, simply praying in public or something and people maybe laugh at you or something. That That's a small, small type of persecution or such. And we don't like that. We don't, we don't like people laughing at us or making fun of us. Uh, there may be times when you go and sit and there's a large group of people and maybe you feel embarrassed to bow your head and, and pray and maybe you do one of those little quick prayers, you know, you know, um, God is great, God is good, let's sing you for your food, you know. <laughs> but uh, we ought not be ashamed of Christ. Um, I love to go to lunch with uh, Brother Jonathan uh, Tharp, my, my good friend. Um, he's not ashamed to pray in public. Sometimes he goes on for five minutes. <laughs> he almost embarrasses me. <laughs> I'm just kidding, he don't. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, he's not afraid at all to pray in public, and we were we were somewhere last week, Mexican restaurant out out there uh, near where we work, and uh, yeah, just a wonderful prayer right there with, with all the other people drinking their margaritas or whatever they were doing over there and laughing it up. But uh, I'm thankful that uh, people are still willing to uh, stand up for the Lord. But. Uh, Paul said this in Romans eight sixteen through 18. He said, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I love that verse. One thing I think, I think Paul must have lived in the south part of where he was from because he said reckon. <laughs> but uh, I love the thought of that. Uh, these sufferings down here, they may seem so bad for us, but they're absolutely nothing compared with the glory which should be revealed in us. One of these days. One of these days we'll be standing before the Lord. and I tell you what, I don't want to be ashamed, ashamed when I stand before the Lord. All right, look at verse 42, we'll be finished. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Uh, if you've watched any of Pastor Sexton's memorial service, you would see that that was one of his life verses. He often signed books like that. In that verse, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That should be one of our life verses as well. If you're a Christian, that ought to be one of our life verses. To cease not teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. That don't mean you've got to be a preacher or a pastor, stand behind a pulpit or anything, but everywhere you go and everybody you meet, uh, we should be able to tell them about Jesus. We ought to have enough of God's word in our heart to be able to at least explain salvation. If nothing else, we can tell people about our own personal salvation. We all have a salvation testimony that we can share. And it, yours may not be one of those extravagant, you know, the ones that people pay money to go in here, you know. Um, I'm not big on those. Uh, I, granted, I'll listen to them, and I'm, I'm thankful for what God's brought some people out of. I'd rather just hear somebody say, you know, I knew I was lost, and I was bound for hell, but I believed in Jesus, and I prayed, and he saved me. I'd just soon hear that than somebody that's been taken out of the pits of hell and, you know, everything else. I, we all are saved the same way, by faith in Christ. Whether it was something extravagant like some people have or whether it was just a simple testimony, 
Mine's very simple. I was six years old. I heard the gospel. It penetrated my heart. I knew I was lost. I ran to the altar, and I poured my heart out there, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know, uh, we're all saved the same way. Once again here, the apostles, they could care less what the council told them. They intended to please God no matter what. And so they're going to spread the gospel. As long as there's breath in their bodies, they went right back in the temple where they've already been taken twice already now, right back in there, and they're preaching and teaching about Jesus. And I wonder how many of us today would have done that. Is our faith strong enough to where if somebody told us, you're not going to tell people about Jesus, are we going to just clam up and say, okay? Or are we going to say, listen, I can't help but talk about Jesus. He means that much to me. I love him that much. He's done that much for me. I'm willing to open my mouth and tell others about him. Regardless of what you think, regardless of what you may do to me, I'm saved and I believe in Jesus and I'm going to tell everybody about him. And so you deal with it. It's your problem, not mine. That's pretty much what the, the apostles are doing. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the Bible lesson tonight. God, we're praying, Lord, that this word just does a work, work in our heart, God, that we take in consideration everything that we've seen. Lord, that we do need to be steadfast. We need to reason before lashing out. And God, we do need to share the gospel. Lord, despite the circumstances or situation or whatever uncomfortable feeling it may give us, but God, that we'll stand up and say, Jesus, I want to tell you what he did for me. God, I'm praying for each member of this church, Lord, that we'll be, all be beacons of light for you. Lord, that we can go out into this dark world of, of evil and sin, God, and, and, and be a good part of it. Lord, and, and people can see the, the light of Christ reflecting off of us. Hear it from our mouths being spoken. See it in our lives how we live. God, I pray for this church. I pray for the community around us, God. God, I'm praying for those that are down the street tonight in the bar. God, we know they're not thinking about you. But God, we, we pray for them. Lord, that one day they'll, they'll come to the light. Lord, they'll see the need to, to be saved. Lord, help us as we go through the rest of this week. Lord, keep us safe on our way home tonight. And may we give you all the glory for everything. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen.